Hello and welcome back to Casting Nuts Podcast. Um, I am Will Harley and I am here with my good friend, Dave Rudot. And we are coming back with uh, some more random thoughts that we would like to share with you. And before we, we have an opportunity to share uh, a bunch of more random thoughts, um, we we want to invite you sort of halfway into a conversation that we were having right before I hit record and sort of surprised Dave with, Hey, guess what? We're recording. <laughs> yeah. I asked him, I was like, why did you, why are you doing this podcast? What, what's the whole goal of this thing? And, and the goal of this thing was, um, I, I guess the best way to say it is, is when I started this podcast and I started this podcast, Oh, some years ago, um, <clears throat> I wanted to have a conversation about things that you normally don't talk about in a church setting. Um, and, and, and the reality of it is, in church, we, we have this uh, propensity to almost teach to the lowest common denominator. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all. I, I really don't. What I mean is that is that for the majority of what we do as, as a congregation and as pastors is we have Bible studies where we are leading people who, who maybe aren't as deep in in the scriptures or as deep in the theological conversations as we are and we're leading them up and and those conversations take years and years and years and every now and then in your congregation you'll have a member right who is at that level to to really where you can start tackling some of those deeper concepts but when i was in in south dakota we were kind of all spread apart, and, and you didn't have those conversations with their brothers like you would have on a normal time. You couldn't just, you know, go down the street and say, hey, I need, you know, I need someone that I can talk to. Um, and so I found that talking to myself was about the only thing you, you had left to do. And I'm like, well, maybe someone else could benefit from those conversations. And then I had a, a good friend, you know him, Don Winsberger. He's also a, a host on the show, and, and, and he started getting involved in those conversations. And, and we were like, well, you know, let's record, let's record these talks that we're having about things that we're dealing with in life but at a higher level. And, and how are we managing and moving on with them? And how are we, we doing all these things? And it, and it brought, I mean, it's just everything. It not just, you know, family life of the pastor. It dealt with, you know, just uh, uh, simple frustrations of the ministry. Um, and, and it really forced us to start thinking out of the box and saying, are these just griping or how is God working through them? And, and so it sort of melded itself into this idea of, of what Casting Nuts became, which is, how are we living our life throwing out this net of the gospel in everything that we do and and how are we tackling it in some of the hard hard topics um and and i mean we had guests on uh one lady who who uh, lexi tuttle who um talked about uh just abuse of women and and the movement uh, of the me too movement mm-hmm. um just conversations that were happening in the in the periphery of the congregation, but the congregation wasn't able to to handle those conversations um, in a sermon or handle those conversations in a um, Bible study because it would have been too deep for the majority of people, and so that's sort of where this got its its creation. So we we thought we would just I thought it was a good explanation since most of you who maybe have started listening haven't listened or heard why we started this. So that's where this conversation comes in. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, by all means, just ask. I am more than happy to shove a microphone in front of anybody's face and, and sit down and say, hey, let's just talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so without further ado, because... Your biblical gift is gab. My, it is. Remember what we said. You know, that's like the prerequisite for a pastor. You know, they, they put you in a nice room and they, they say, you know, if, do you like to hear yourself speak? And if you say no, they keep you there and make you talk. <laughs> Until you like your voice. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's at the LCMS seminary. That never happened to me. Well, maybe I don't that's like a hearing new... myself talk, and I'm still a pastor. That maybe should be a new practice for the for the Wisconsin. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, before we jump into our conversation for today, because we do have, um, I think, a, an interesting topic that hasn't been discussed for. 
I can't remember ever discussing it. It's just something we have to do. Um, and, and I'm not going to introduce that topic. I'm going to leave that to, to my counterpart here in Dave. Um, but I want to give our disclaimer first. Everything that we say is just our rambling thoughts. Um, trust me, we did not prepare much for this. These are just literally our thoughts. We sat down and said, huh, I wonder if we could. So take it for what it is. We are going to uh, uphold the doctrines of the church. We're going to uphold the confessions of which we, we keep, but these are not the views and opinions of our calling bodies, nor are they the views and opinions of the synod in which we are a part. If you don't like what we have to say, of course, it is put on the big boy pants, shut us off. It's what we do. It's all right. It's cancel culture. Just cancel us, but not forever, just for a little bit. And if you do like what we have to say and want to join the conversation, by all means, talk with us and and... Well, as Dave said, I like to talk, so I will be more than happy to have a conversation with you. So we're going to have some some intro music that's going to lead us from this this rambling to something more productive, and uh, and then I'm going to hand it over to Dave and let him introduce what we are going to be saying. The topic for today is statistical reports. Uh, Every year you have an annual report of your congregation, whether it's in January or June or July, and part of preparation for that annual meeting is a pastor filling out statistical reports. How many baptisms? How many uh, deaths? How many people transferred in? How many people transferred out? Uh, How much did your congregation receive in offerings? How much did you support uh, your ministries and the ministries around you? Uh, statistical report is data, and data is neutral, but how do we use that data? Uh, what is that statistic information for? What is the statistic information not for? Uh, what message uh, can we get from statistical report? What is its purpose? That's the topic for today. Uh, many people don't underst- uh, know or understand that during the month of January, pastors, especially pastors of smaller congregations who don't have secretaries, are spending a lot of time putting these uh, statistical reports together. Usually this is uh, categorized as busy work, but really, is it busy work or is this a a work that can be useful for a pastor's ministry? So where did the statistical reports begin? And so that would where we would go back to the Bible. And Will, you had said you had read some stuff in the Old Testament. I heard there's some good stuff in there. So tell us, tell us about statistics in the Old Testament. Well, I would before I, I I'd enter the the concept of statistics in the Old Testament. What I would probably say is is we are going to attempt on this show something that has never been attempted before, and that is to make book bookkeeping sound interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> and so <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll succeed, <laughs> but. Um, there is, uh, and and so there's been a long line of God's people trying to get an understanding of, uh, or a handle on what's going on in the world around them and in the culture in which they they are finding themselves. Um, we do have statistics that are are kind of given uh, throughout the the Old Testament. Um, in Exodus, there was a, a totaling that was given. Um, uh, as you approach the, the the book of Numbers, um, it seems as if in the in the pages of Exodus and the pages of Numbers that the the census that was given is more of a totaling of the families, um, and it was given to the really for the reason of here are the people that aren't going to aren't going to make it into the Holy Land um, because of their disobedience. Um, and so they have a counting of people. Um, but then we have another counting of people when they do enter the Holy Land that we see the families are still there, even though the people who originally had fallen and, and, and said, we're not going to trust the Lord in entering into the Promised Land, um, they, they have th- that generation left, but their new generation is there and the families are still there, which is a very important idea because um, when, you, when you see the tracking of the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament, you get to the book of Numbers where you, where you have family lineage and you have the, the listing of the names. And again, in Chronicles, uh, where you have the listing of the names, um, where, where you have these, these long sections and this begot this and this begot that and this begot that. It is of vital importance because you see the tracking of 
God's people and his promise throughout time, right? That God promised that that his his people would be there, they would be present. Um, when the two kingdoms split, right? When when we had the split between the, the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin and then the, the split of the other 10 up in the north, um, so many of those family units that believed in the Lord came down and they amalgamated and lived within Jerusalem uh, with the with the the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Benjamin, um, and so when we have them going into Babylon and then coming back in Chronicles, we have a census taken again, right? Of the recounting of all the tribes are still present, all the tribes that are found in faith are still present, even though we lost ten of them to the Assyrians. But here is maybe the dark cloud over um, statistical reports. And that is uh, taken what I believe maybe First uh, Corinthians, uh, sorry, First Chronicles, Old Testament, First Chronicles, chapter twenty-one, and um, you have a case where David is trying to take a census, um, and we're told specifically uh, where this desire comes from, and, and I just want to read. Uh, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I want to read just the 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 very first verse of of uh, first Chronicles chapter 21 where where specifically the Holy Spirit gives us this information uh, which is the dark side of statistics and you know will liking the dark side yes well if you have my Facebook page you know Darth Vader you know just picture of my soul there um, sorry <laughs> uh, first verse of of 21 chapter 21 says Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to to count Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think that is a telling thing. Um, you know, you go back and you go back to Exodus and you go back to Numbers and you go back to, to when they enter in the Promised Land and the census that they have in, in the time of Joshua. Um, and you see, this is God saying, my promise is still there. Um, uh, this is for promise, right? This, that's what it was for. This is for promise. And then you see um, later on in Chronicles uh, uh, coming back from from the dispersion, um, right? Coming back from Babylon, you have the establishment again, God's promise. These are my people. These are my people are here. But David seems to take this on on his own, and it's not for godly purpose. Um, this is for how strong am I? How, how What is the strength of my arms, the strength of my own abilities, the strength of my of my own cunning, um, and it's separated from a godly thought. Um, and I, I think you have, and, and, and really that's a, that is, it's produced by Satan. That, that's, I mean, we're told that, that this is Satan's standing against Israel, refocusing their thoughts on how good am I instead of how good is God. So Israel is looking at itself rather than on God, or on the strength of itself rather than the strength of God is what you're seeing. Right, absolutely. And, and I think this is where the danger comes in because, because you know, the Lord had specifically said, don't do it through the prophets, right? Uh, through the pro- don't count the armed people. Don't, don't count how many can hold a sword uh-huh. uh, because it's not about your might, it's about me. And David goes and does exactly the opposite. Um, Solomon will do exactly the opposite um and and in fact we have a list of statistics of all the things solomon invested in horses and chariots were which were specifically forbidden by the lord to have horses and chariots because you start relying on the strength of of men instead of the 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 counsel and strength of god if god told them not to have the census why is the census recorded for us in the holy scripture well, I think there is, um, I think once again, there is the census that God commands, take a census of the, of the families so uh-huh. that his promise remains. And then there is, um, like all things in scripture, there is God providing for us the opposite side that says, here's a bad example of when we do it wrong. So it's when David and Solomon uh, do the census when they're not supposed to, when they're led by Satan to do so, are the numbers of the census recorded for us, or is it just? Um, there are some numbers. Um, um, 
I would have to go back and try to find some of them. Uh, let me see. I'll just peruse the the one here in in uh, First Chronicles. Uh, well, they have a plague and they lose pretty much all the people they took a census of. <laughs> do you think that's god being starky you want to count them Guess All right, so, what? <laughs> so so okay i said i wasn't going to read it but i'm going to read it um in verse five it says uh and so this is joab who went and, and and performed the census and he says uh he reported a total number of people to david in all of israel there were one million one hundred thousand men who could draw a sword so that's that that tells you right uh, immediately this is all he was concerned about including four hundred seventy thousand from judah who could draw the sword and he did not include levi and benjamin in the census because the king's directive was offensive to joab so joab was like nope this is stupid <laughs> and so yeah, i'm not gonna even give him a full census it's joab the <clears throat> priest who's he joab um joab is is uh isn't that his general okay joab was the general uh because he uses him to to take care of uriah right um and then steal uriah's wife you know david's that great guy sure right <laughs> so he so joab found it was offensive but but listen to what happens i mean um and <laughs> verse seven this action was also evil in the eyes of God, so he struck Israel. So so Joab was offended, God was offended, and David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Please forgive the guilt of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. And the Lord said to, to Gad, David's seer, go tell David this. It was, or, uh, go tell David, this is what the Lord has said. I'm offering you three choices. Choose one of them for yourself, and I will impose it on you. So, so we get behind door number one, two, and three. So David, uh, Gad came to David, and he said, This is what the Lord says. Choose one of these for yourself, either three years of famine, three months of devastation in which you are overwhelmed by the sword of your enemies, or three days of the sword of the Lord bringing plague on the land, with the angel of the Lord causing destruction throughout all of the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I would should take back to the Lord who sent me with this directive. That's interesting that all three of the choices are all of your work that you just did here is now just out the window. Right. So so it's it's okay. You can have three. You you can have have uh, what is it? Three years of famine, which will take all those nice mighty men and and reduce them to little ladies. Nothing against ladies. <laughs> I I should probably say that. <laughs> um. Three thinking months out loud, th- thinking out loud. Three months of devastation, right? Where where armies are going to come, and that's going to still take care of of those mighty men that he thought he had, or plague, which is going to take care of them. I mean, it's really. I mean, it's it's not a choice of, huh? Which one am I going to lose the least? It's a choice of, how long do I really want to be be doing this? Um, and what is, and what happens? David says, this puts me into a difficult position. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord because his compassion is very great, but do not let me fall into the hands of men. So, so keep the armies away, you know, if it's famine Mm -hmm. or plague, whatever. So the Lord caused a plague in Israel and 70,000 men from Israel fell. God sent on uh, an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, and the Lord saw the destruction, and he relented from his devastation. Uh, he said to the destroying angel, Enough, hold back your hand. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, you know, um, and, and I would have to say this, and, and, and uh, um, uh, you can disagree with me, and that's fine, but but I think it's interesting that Satan comes to meddle in the affairs of God's people, and then Satan is used <laughs> to mediate God's judgment <laughs> on God's people. And then, just like in Job, um, God says, "Nope, you can't go, can't go any further. You have to stop." And just like in in um, uh, in Exodus, when they leave, you know, the Lord says, you have to pass over. Um, you have, you can't touch my people. Um, so you, you, you kind of see Satan on a, on a chain, right? Um, he, he, at, you get one glimpse where you're like, oh, he's acting outside of the purview of God, but he's really not. And then he's sent to, 
um, I shouldn't say sent, he's allowed to wreak the devastation he desires, right? And then the Lord says, but I'm going to hold you back. I, I think it's a, a good illustration for us when we sin, and there might be a consequence of sin, that sometimes we think that the consequence is equal to the sin. Like, well, if something goes bad, oh, that's a bad consequence, I'll still do the sin because I can take that consequence. Where David was reminded that God could re- reap a huge devastation on his on his country, and he should never do this again, but God in his mercy uh, spares him. So the sin that he had done is no way paid for by this action of the destroying angel. Right, and I, I think that's where, where we have to be very, very careful in our own studies, um, and, and really coming back to statistics, is statistics, and, and here's, here's my viewpoint on modern statistics as well. Um, statistics in any any way, shape, or form really can offset the focus from what God is doing to what we have accomplished in ourselves. And and I think this is a danger that our statistics, even in the church, take. You know, um, and and I'm not saying everybody believes this or everybody is is um, in agreement of this, but. So often when the pastor spends his time and says, okay, we're going to put these statistical reports together. We're going to see how many people we baptized, how many people we buried. We're going to see uh, how many people we transferred, how many people we released, how many people we brought in, how many came in through confession of faith, how many came in through Bible information class, uh, how many adult baptisms, how many are new to this, and we can talk about it later, Mm -hmm. uh, how many evangelism calls have you made. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. How many people are in, in, in Bible study? Uh, how many people are in worship? But don't count the people that come twice to worship to be fed doubly by the Lord. Only count the people that come once to worship because we don't want double numbers. Um, and you get all these things. And the one thing that I found out from all the st- statistical reports that is missing is how many people came to the Lord's table? How many came to receive the forgiveness of sins in body and blood and bread and wine? Oh wait, that's like important, but we don't we don't count that. So what we're counting, in my opinion, which is wrong, and I'm not saying baptisms are wrong. That's a good count, but for the rest of it, what we're counting is the external appearance of the church instead of the internal strength that we have as God's people gathering around Word and Sacrament. Baptism, Sacrament, awesome, but we've cut out in our statistics how many people have gathered around around the Lord's table, which is the lifeblood of the active church. Um, and we don't count that anymore. We count how many people are showing up, how many people are in Bible study, uh, how many people are left, and how many people came in. It's like, is that the most important thing? Right. It's hard to measure the internal strength of a congregation. It's hard to measure the internal strength of one individual who's receiving the Lord's Supper throughout the year. And so it's a, it's a good thing that you're, you're thinking about are we actually measuring our ministry of our congregation? But on the other hand, we have to understand that data has its limitations. It can't tell us everything. I know our director, our new, uh, I know how many years he's been doing it, but our director of congregational services, Pastor John Hines, is quoted as saying that the data, the statistics don't tell the whole story, but they do have some some value. Uh, Which leads me to an interesting question. If Will and I were in charge, and we would come up with an ideal statistical report, what would we have on it? I would definitely say we have on there how many people communed. Yeah. And that would be, that would be number, uh, maybe number two or three. Um, because I think that's, to me personally, I think that is an important factor because, and, and, and follow me on this, many and many of our churches um, aren't in big cities, aren't in flourishing cities. I'm not saying that your church is dying. Because if you're gathering our word and sacrament, you're being strengthened, and that, that makes a thriving congregation. But in the outward, exp- outward expression of the world, if you're not in a population that is growing, if you're in a population that is getting older, that's considered declining of the church. That, that, I mean, that is. I mean, so, I, I mean, we live in, in this, what would you say, upper Wisconsin, Midwest Wisconsin area? Right, you know, Northeast not upper Wisconsin. upper, yeah. Midwest Wisconsin, Northeast Wisconsin, uh, Northeast Wisconsin. But you, you look at that and you say, okay, the the general trend of our demographic in our communities is retired or trending towards retirement, right? And if it's trending towards retirement, that means the majority of our congregations are trending towards retirement. 
Um, you know, before my time up in north northeast Wisconsin here, um, we had some closures of schools, right? Um, a lot of the churches started to close schools. What a death knell if that's all you're looking at. You know, if you're looking statistically and saying, oh, we, we ran out of kids to, to fill our school. But those churches are still here, and those churches are still ministering to families, and the Lord's words are still being spoken, and and the sacrament is still being administered. And so I, I believe that, that the idea of what we see on those data points don't necessarily reflect the truth of what is really going on within those churches to an extent. Right. Yeah, I think that the data is useful for telling us some information about the congregation, uh, but it's a poor evaluation of your ministry. I know for myself, I've served, mostly I've served two congregations, uh, and so I've had to fill out two statistical reports every year. And if you look at them both, you might say, well, he's, he's doing okay as a pastor. But if you look at one, you say, well, what is this guy doing? because his, his time is devoted into other things. In the same way, looking at a statistical report doesn't always reflect all the ministry that's going on that the pastor is doing or that the congregation is doing. Uh, and uh, so in previous years, uh, most of the statistical reports that gave any indication of where the ministry was going of that congregation was in, well, what's your Sunday attendance? What's your Bible class attendance? Uh, maybe uh, what's your stewardship? How, how, how much is your your membership giving to the Lord. And, and I'm going to sound really bad here, and, and, and I'm going to just preface this. I love Bible study. I love teaching Bible study. I love having those conversations. Bible study is the most useless statistic that you can ever ask for in any statistical report. Why do you say that? Because it is, it is, Bible study is wrapped up in worship, that, sure. I mean, anybody who comes to worship, hey, guess what? You're studying the Bible. That's Bible study, folks. Um, you know, we've gotten ourselves, and, and okay, now, Dave already knows this. I have a reformed kick that I always got to, I, I, it's an itch that I got to scratch. Um, it's reformed. Bible study is the, the, the idea of having a separate time where you're devoid of, of gathering around the means of grace other than just the word, and you don't have a liturgical setting, is a reformed idea. And that's what Bible study is. And I, I'm not saying I don't love it. I do. I love those times to talk with people. I love those times to, to maybe dive into topics that you can't talk about in the, in the pulpit. Right. I'm not opposed to any of it. But for us to convince ourselves that that is an integral part of ministry when that did not sustain the church, nor has it ever sustained the church, for thousands of years, is kind of a ludicrous idea. Well, it's part of a pastor's calling. He's he's trained, called to equip God's people for works of service, and so how do you do that with God's word? So it's not necessarily unbiblical, or that God can't use it. But it, I don't think that's what you're saying. I think I th- I think you're saying that uh, if people think that only coming to Bible class is the only time when God's word is being activated in their lives. Well, and and I'm not even saying that as much as I'm saying. And I'm not saying it's not useful. It is, <clears throat> and I agree with you. What I'm saying is it's not a useful statistic. Okay. What I'm saying is what has preserved God's people and God's church throughout all time has been the means of grace, word and sacraments, mm-hmm. not just the word. Um, I mean, it's like saying, well, you know, maybe we should, and I know sometimes they do, um, I, I just did the statistics and they wanted some statistics about the school, but what we should say is, um, you know, for all of our choice schools out there, how many kids are joining in your Bible in your in your Bible classes and in your confirmation classes? But they're not being confirmed. But they're in your confirmation classes. We should take take statistics about that because if we're saying that just the word alone is what we're really trying to make take take those statistics on, those are the statistics we need to have. But but that's not. I mean, it is a part of ministry, but it's a part of ministry that flows from the, the center and the core of the ministry of the means of grace, all of them, mm-hmm. not, the mean, not just one of them. And it becomes a very, um, when we start downplaying the role of the, 
coming back to what I could put into the statistics. If we start downplaying the role of, of the sacraments within our midst and, and taking the numbers of how many people are receiving on an average the, the, the forgiveness of, of our Lord and, and, and his true body and blood and bread and wine and then, re, and then bringing that to their families at the, at the table. So from the altar of God to the altar of the table on which they're having dinner to the, to the altar in which we serve uh, to our, our families in school or our families in the community. If we're not taking that, that first census or statistic and saying, how many people are receiving God's grace in this way? It really doesn't matter what we're doing in the other avenues mm-hmm. because the other avenues seem more focused on us than on what God is providing. I like your approach because then it looks like it looks at it doesn't divorce what we do on Sunday from the other activity of the congregation. So the, the other activity of the congregation, I really appreciate your insight in saying the reformed influence of moving us away from the Sunday morning worship as if that's not the big, that's not the main thing, that's not what it means to be a Christian. Instead, it, it's being in Bible class or being in small group Bible study where all of these things are supposed to be moving us toward the direction of the church, moving us toward Sunday morning so we could receive the sacraments. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And I, and I, I mean, you said it better. Um, <laughs> see, I have one of these, uh, dear listeners, I have one of these problems. My problem is that if I, when I talk out loud, that's how I think. And so as I talk, I'm thinking through everything I'm saying, and then eventually it comes out really nice. So if you ever come to hear my sermon, that's from a whole week of talking out loud. <laughs> but, but one of the things I think that, that and, and, and you, you hit your nail on the head, so, so they have in the statistic, you know, VBS attendance. Okay, Vacation Bible School is, is fine. Um, I, I kind of wonder a little bit about it in the sense that we spend more on on a week's worth of material than we do on an entire year's worth of material for our Sunday school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me question. But VBS is fine. I right. have I'm nothing against it. Those things are great. Evangelism calls. Those things are great. I, I like them. They're they're good. But it when I when I filled out the statistical report this year and, and the years previous, it's you know, okay, let's say you're in an area where, where we used to serve, right? You know, you were in Rapid City, and or not Rapid, you were in Pier, um, and, and I was in Winter. I didn't have evangelism calls. That just wasn't a thing. People came to visit us in the, in the congregation, but they were members of the other congregations in, in the city. You know, they were a member of the Baptist Church or the Nazarene Church or whatever, and they, and they, they came because a family member said, um, uh, we're going to go and do something later on in the day, and so they just came to church with us, or what? Or they were there because of a funeral, mostly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you you go through those statistical things, uh, and and you get to that point where it says evangelism calls made, and and you put zero, and it's like your heart drops because you're like, well, you know, I must not be doing very well because I I don't have that or. I- you know what I mean? I think that's a, an example of us you, being a poor evaluation of our own ministry. I know I remember doing that the same thing with uh, baptisms in when I served areas where the, it was the elderly population. Like, well, what did I do this year if I didn't baptize anybody? Uh, but there was ministry happening. I was uh, visiting with folks. I was uh, preaching God's word and administering the sacraments. Um, but if I look to the statistics to evaluate how my ministry is going, then the statistics have not served their purpose. Then it becomes the strength of my ministry is in numbers rather than the strength of my ministry is in my Lord and his word and sacrament who, in the call that he has given me uh, uh, through his called servants through the church. So I, uh, I, I see the only benefit I see of statistics is for myself is holding myself to a mark. I actually appreciate it uh, having the evangelism call, the delinquent calls uh, listed on there only to hold myself to a mark, to say, you know, I say I do those things. I say I do delinquent visits, but am I actually doing them? Because uh, whole, whole, so much of my ministry is actually reactionary, reacting to, to what's going on during the week. Some, somebody's in the hospital, or I need to go visit somebody, somebody's got this issue or that issue, or reacting to I've got confirmation kids coming in, in later on today, so I've got to be prepared for that. Uh, but am I, how intentional am I in my ministry? Am I, uh, or how am I equipping God's people 
to do ministry as well. And for them to say, you know, I went and visited when, when we'd have <coughs> giving us an opportunity to say in a council meeting to say, well, you know, we went and visited so many people or we made uh, so many calls. Now, if you take those numbers and you start thinking we're doing well because we do it, or that's where we get the, our um, motivation to do it is through numbers, then it's, it's not serving its purpose. But if it's holding you to a mark where you say, I'm going to be, we're reaching out with the gospel because that's what we're here for as a congregation. We are uh, trying to seek the string because that's what we're here for uh, because that's what call, God has called us to do. Uh, if that helps us hold us to the mark of actually doing the things we say we're doing, then we won't fall back to idolatry of, of the moment or the idolatry of, of, well, I'm busy and I'm just too busy. I can't do it. Well, and I agree with you. I, I think that every every pastor's issue that we have in ministry, right, is is um, the idea, the draw of of wanting to be prepared for our Sunday service, want to be prepared for our Bible studies, um, and 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 so we spend a lot of time cloistered <laughs> um, in study, and we should mm-hmm. um, because because I, I think the calling to to be a public minister of the gospel requires one who is willing and able to to remain in God's word and and to and to learn at God's feet and and be prepared to answer um the myriad of questions that are going to come up in a bible study or the myriad of questions that are going to come up within the in the in the gospel and, and instead of just taking it on the surface right and to diving deeper and saying what is being said here right what is what is going on and I also understand, you know, the call, just like this Sunday, um, we were dealing with the calling, full-time call of the disciples, and and they were casting nets, and then the Lord says, you're going to be fishers of men. You know, that whole idea of, we're, by the way, this is how we got the name for our, <laughs> our podcast, casting nets. Um, you're going to be going out, and so there's the idea of doing something with it, um, but Numbers can be deceiving, and, and I think this is this is where Satan's playground really is. Because yes, I want to stay focused on um, I want to stay focused on the ministry. How many evangelism calls did I do if I had the opportunity? How many uh, delinquent calls did we do? Oh, we didn't do any, but there's a ton on our list. So our elders really got to get going, and we really got to make this an effort and say this is a part of it. I get that. But now look at the flip side. They give you the total of, okay, how many deaths did you have? How many transfers, releases, transfers out, releases, um, comparative to baptisms, comparative to transfers in, um, confirmations, and transfers in, right? And often those numbers on the one side of the good are very low, and the other side are very high. And this is the devil's playground saying, I am a failure because we, we, we had to release six people. We, I'm a failure because we had to transfer 10 people, two families. Um, I'm a failure because my church is dying and what am I going to do? Um, and so, you, you know, you see, the, you see this trend of, you start to see a trend of, okay, my congregation is declining, it's declining, it's declining. And it all becomes a hopeless adventure, right? You know, it's like, I dread doing this report because my numbers are going to be lower. And so what do you do? You want to pad the report. And we had congregations that did that, that padded the report. And they said, I really don't care. I'm just going to keep it the same. And it's right. not the same. Right. But because they it made them feel better. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it it literally made them feel better to to um, have an opportunity to not see those numbers continue to decline. And, and I said, and, and so I see there's a con there. Um, and I, I understand your benefit, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because it does, it should motivate us to, to say, okay, here's opportunities. We can embrace these opportunities. But so often I don't see that happening. Yeah, it all depends on who's looking at the information. Uh, what I really appreciated about John Hines, uh, he, they actually did a video on our Congregational Services website where they looked at all the different areas of ministry, and they said, this is how we use our statistics, so that if someone were to say, well, people are just going to look at the negative aspects of it, how many members I'm, am I losing? But 
on on the website, they actually said, this is what we use it for. For example, uh, how your schools are doing, it helps our ministerial schools to to plan for their future. Like how many students are they going to have? What's their pool of people that they're going to be um, talking to about maybe becoming a pastor or a teacher? How many resources do they need to devote to that? If if our schools are growing and we have tons of schools, well, maybe they're going to need to devote more manpower so that we we are are casting nets and and putting the ideas in kids' minds along with the local pastor of um, full-time ministry. We think of our our ministry, our missions and trying to tie in our world missions with what's going on here. So let's say you have an ethnic group uh, that's tied to some sort of uh, world mission that maybe that there's an avenue that they have not explored before. So they use that information. Uh, Our um, discipleship looks at it and says, well, if our, if we have an aging congregation, if we have an aging synod, how many resources are we putting together to help the, the aging, uh, uh, population of our of our members what how should we be devoting our synod-wide resources uh, for the good of the synod and, and i think those are are, are um, those are good things and i can't i'm not going to say they aren't good things um again well you know let's before we, we we continue this this conversation because i gave you mine i said if i was going to adjust the the statistics i would put i'd put the lord's supper and attendance of the lord's supper on there you conveniently um, never gave yours. <laughs> what would be a my ideal statistical report? Uh, one of the th- I, I don't have that uh, fi- uh, thought through yet, but one of the things I'd like to see is how many Bible classes do you have in a week? Recognizing that, understanding the danger of of looking at Bible study as if it's better. It's not better or superior than Sunday worship. It's meant to funnel us toward Sunday worship. But understanding, like, if you look at a congregation and you say you have uh, 50% of its members in Bible class, how many Bible classes does it take for a congregation of 800 to have 50% of your congregation members in Bible class? Are your Bible classes uh, a huge group, or are they smaller groups? Uh, how How does this work? And so if we can look at that and say, uh, th- this grouping seems to to work, or we seem to have opportunities to share God's word uh, with uh, more people using this method. If that would highlight that, I think that would be useful. Well, I think that we have, um, <clears throat> as I'm sitting here thinking, you're talking about Bible studies. I, I think we have another topic for next week's Bible study or our next week's podcast, and, and the topic is is small group Bible study or pastor led Bible study. Um, or lay-led Bible study. So we could probably expand that to like three different options here for us and, and see if pros and cons of, of each of those. But but commenting towards that, you know, I think any pastor would say if we had 50% of our members in Bible study, um, we would be like, we don't even get that in church. Because <laughs> we don't. Right. I mean, the running trend is anywhere between 36 and 48% of, of our, our people on the books are coming to church. Um, now with COVID, it's even less than that. So let's. So it'll be interesting to see that in April when they compile all this, right? How many people are actively involved in uh, online worship versus in-person worship? How that affects congregations? Because I, I seriously, I am consi- I am curious. I, our congregation does not do online worship. We we had a uh, like a three percent drop in worship attendance. However. When looking at statistics, yeah, you just look at that number, you might think, well, that's not too bad. But on the other hand, it's people who aren't necessarily members of our congregation are coming to our drive-in worship. So we still have a lot of members who aren't in worship yet. So that's still a, an issue that we have to address. Well, and and here's the here's the other side of that. Like in our congregation, you know, and I and I appreciated this on the statistical report because all of the numbers are going to be a little bit skewed. On one of the pages, it says how many are in average worship. Well, this whole year was was kind of cruddy. So the average worship, you know, between ninety and 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 well, recently we've been like one twenty, um, and that's the max we can have socially distant. Uh-huh. And and so that. You know, they. I liked that they had, the, they had a COVID section, and the COVID section was how. How much is how many people have come back to worship, from your normal attendance, not not how many come back to worship from your overall members, but your normal attendance, and and you know you you think about it, and you have to say you, you 
most congregations, I bet you, are going to be falling within the 60 to 80 percent are coming back to normal worship, which means that that let's say if you had a congregation of 160, 170 in normal worship, you're worshiping about 120, 130. Mm-hmm. That's about where we're at. That's about where you're at. That that if you would take it by those numbers and take out all the visitors, and just say out of the normal number of people that we usually get, we're about that that realm. And so, and I, I liked how in that COVID section it also said, you know, do you offer an online option and an in-person option because I think that's going to skew the results um, you know if if we look at it and we say okay and one of the statistical things which which maybe could have been clarified um, and it and it did have it vaguely which I, I give them credit for how many views do you get a week on your on your um, online worship. online worship and that was a good thing um, because that I think that gives them an idea of how many people are truly still gathering? But again, I think it's. I I, st- I still come back to it. There's this there's this idea that we're missing something because those people who are in online worship, they're hearing the word, but they're not receiving the sacrament. They're they're not they're not and I I maybe they maybe, have you. maybe they are private or. Well, I mean, they haven't called me okay. to ask me to bring communion to them. <laughs> right. You are the... <laughs> I, I am the private communion guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, it makes me wonder, um, you know, have we moved ourselves? And this is the thing, and, and this, is the, this is the fear. I come back down to it, and I agree with everything you're saying about these statistics. But I come back down to, to here's the great danger that I'm seeing. When we look at these statistical reports and we cut out the very fundamental nature of what it is that we as a church preach and teach, which is the sacraments, means of grace, right? Means of grace ministry. That's, that is the heart blood of the church. That, that, that is the, 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 the blood that pumps through us. That is the, the, the driving force. If we're cutting out means of grace ministry from our statistics, what is taking its place? And I think it's these external things that are taking its place that that are are, are driving the numbers, and 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 we've said it before. It's not giving a very clear picture. That's good information. Yes, okay, we're giving our institutions ideas to to how to plan. Awesome, we're giving our 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 missions uh, ideas of where we can maybe reach out and where we you know where in different areas we can do. That's great, but I think we're fundamentally missing what is truly important to our congregations and to our synod. Um, we are, follow me on this one, and, and, and this is my own thoughts, so don't take any offense to this, people who are easily offended. We are one of the very few synods in the world that means of grace ministry is paramount and takes precedence. Um, I could count on my on, on one hand the congregations where the means of grace ministry is the most important thing, um, and, and the synods, the Missouri Synod, the Wells, of course, the ELS, the CLC. Um, I think I ran out. Well, in America, you mean? <laughs> in America, right. where 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 we have synods, where means of grace ministry is the thing, mm-hmm. um, and and all of them are Lutheran churches. I mean, Catholicism means a grace ministry isn't the thing. I mean, they have it, but it's not the thing. Reformed congregations don't have means of grace ministry. They don't have sacraments. They have the the word ordinances. They have ordinances, but they don't have the sacraments. They don't have the things that that God puts in, that God has said. Here I am to give you forgiveness of sins. Um, and, and so when we start saying we're going to take statistics like everybody else is taking statistics in the same areas that people are taking statistics. I think we start doing a disservice to, to what it is that we truly preach, teach and believe in the sense of what is the most important for the congregation. I think it's, it's always a good thing because data is data. It's a good thing to think, why are we collecting this data and what are we using this data for? It's very encouraging to see our synod looking at it in terms of how can we minister to the greater whole 
with this information rather than uh, picking winners and losers. I think for us as individuals, we also should not be looking at our own statistics and say, I'm winning or I'm losing based on this number or that number, but using them as a tool, uh, maybe holding you to the mark. Uh, even, even our own work, our own ministry can become an idol. Like we will do the things that are comfortable or the things that are easy for us, the things that we enjoy, and we'll steer away from the things that we should be doing because we've been called by God to do them. I'm reminded of what uh, Paul says in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 9 when he talks about uh, running a race and his Christian life and that he understands that he's not running as if he, he's not running against nothing, but he's running against some sort of resistance. He says, I do not, as uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 26, he says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not run like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I, what I like what, what the Apostle Paul is telling us is the idea of our Christian walk, whether it's be it an individual or a ch- as a church, has to be held to a mark. Are we doing what God has called us to do? Statistics can help us hold us to the mark, but it can't be the only thing that holds us to the mark. We, it, it's data. Um, how do we look at that data? And also um, is determined by our worldview, and our worldview is the means of grace ministry is important. And so are we using the means of grace? Are we administering to, to it? Are we uh, using it to fuel our service to our neighbor and those around us? Uh, I, like to think of, uh, I like to think of statistics the same way I look at the scale in the bathroom. Uh, two years ago, I started a lifestyle change of changing my diet, and I have had a love-hate relationship with the scale. Uh, the scale, sometimes when I was in a diet, the scale was a determination for how I was doing. <laughs> I looked at the scale, I said, oh, I'm down 0.5, 0.5 pounds, I must be doing well. And then, of course, over time, then what did you do? You, well, you kind of, you got on the scale at certain points of the day. You knew that not to go on the scale after you ate because then the scale would, would uh, have inflated numbers. Or you would kind of rock on the scale to make sure that the, the numbers would go down um, before you took your final tally. So then the scale became... Uh, a, something it should never have been, and that is determining how you are doing. Uh, two years in, now I look at the scale not as a reaffirmation, not as a, uh, a motivation, but a reaffirmation that I'm changing my lifestyle. So no matter what the number is, whether it's good or bad, whether it's gone up or down, it's just data. It's how I look at the data, how I view the data is what's important. It's a reaffirmation of what I'm doing. For us as a congregation or for us as pastors, statistical reports should be holding ourselves to a mark. We are to share the gospel. We are to use the means of grace in our congregations and in our community. And how are we doing with that? How can we hold our, use the statistics to hold ourselves to the mark of, of sharing? How can we use statistics so that it's not that we're just using, doing our ministry aimlessly like we're beating the air, but actually uh, striving toward being better pastors and better congregations, reaching out with the means of grace uh, to our members and to our community. Well, and and I, that was well said. Um, I'm, I I I am entering that relationship with the scale, so I understand. Um, <clears throat> but I I guess I'm going to ask this question. Um, and and you don't have to spend a lot of time on it if you don't want to. If if you think it's a foolish question, but the statistics that we take seem to be numbers that are used heavily on in the higher level of the church, right? Um, you know, the, the, the synod level of the church, uh, statistics, you know, those statistics are, you know, you receive a call and the first thing a pastor does is jump on and looks at the statistics of the congregation. What local benefit does it have outside of, outside of, of those things? And, and, and I think this is a good question because we spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. What, what local congregational level benefit does it really have? That is an excellent question. Uh, I know as a pastor, I just talked about what is the goal, what I, what I feel that the role of statistics should be. But for the person sitting in the pew, would, I, I don't know the answer to that question because I think, I think what you're driving at is most people in the pew are just going to look at, well, how many members do we have compared to 10 years ago? Or what was it like compared to the heyday of you know, whenever I was 12 years old was the best time this congregation has ever existed and so you're always comparing it to the past 
rather than using it as to say, where are you right now? Not where now, not how far have you fallen, but where are you right now and where can you grow? And I would, and I would agree with that. I'm just saying in the local congregation, I don't know if they see that. I think in the local congregation, you hit the nail on the head. The local congregation looks at those statistics and says, this is a hopeless endeavor. Um, because we are not what we should be. Or, oh, the statistics say we have 300 and whatever fill-in-the-blank people, and, oh, I'm looking around, and it's always the same people. Oh, and there's 90 of them, and we have all this empty space. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to me, it almost becomes a part of of, of a useless exercise. Um, not useless in the sense of I understand it's greater good, but a useless exercise for the, the local congregation because they don't they, they're not seeing the... And then maybe it's an education thing, and it probably is, but they're not seeing the benefit of it. You know, it, it's just a, it's just a numbers game. Um, and and I guess you know, I I look at it and I say, I look at that number. I did my statistics. I look at the number of how many members we have, and the only thing I thought was there's three hundred and in our case three hundred and eighty six members of the congregation. Three hundred. That's what the statistics say. 386 members of the congregation and each one of them has a name and each one of them are on our book not because we want to just say look how great we are but each one's on that book and and is a member of this congregation because they confessed to believe what it is that we preach and teach and it's now my responsibility to be looking after them and holding them to that confession and it's my responsibility to to make sure that they are being fed appropriately and 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 there is a, I don't know, there is a depression that sets in when you look at that and say, that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I was thinking about that because uh, just in our whole discussion of statistics, don't always tell the whole story. Well, who knows the whole story in a congregation? If it's a bigger congregation, it's the elders. In a smaller congregation, it's the pastor because he's the he, his elders might be his council, and so. For the person sitting in the pew, they don't have the whole picture by looking at the statistics. But a pastor looking at the statistics, if he's honest with the statistics, if he's not just padding the numbers or trying to, like uh, sitting on a bathroom scale, kind of moving around and make it make it look good, as long as the pastor is honest with them and looking at it honestly, then he can look at his whole picture of his ministry of that congregation. I admit that it might be difficult for someone sitting in the pew to get that when you look at a statistical report. I know even as a pastor, when I'm holding a call, like you said, I will look at the statistical report of the congregation because I want to see, are they active in elder ministry? Because you see the numbers uh, of people leaving the congregation, a lay person might, might look at, I don't know, might look at that and say, well, people didn't like the pastor, that's why they left. But as a pastor, I would see, no, I'm seeing a congregation that's actually doing elder work. You know, it's not a congregation where I have to start that or start the idea of reaching out to your to your inactive. This is a congregation that's used to it. So if I were to take that call, then I would know what I'm getting into. Right, and I and I'd also to say, you know, the the vice versa can happen. I seem to be playing the opposite role today. Uh, the vice versa can happen. You know, you look at that and you look at a statistic and you say, okay, they went through a year and all of a sudden they have 23 removals. The first thing you're thinking is they're just cleaning house. <laughs> I mean, there it is. I mean, the first thing is, well, we haven't seen them in five years. We don't know where they are. We're just cleaning house. Um, and and there is a time and a place for that, I think, too, in the congregation's life, um, where where people have allowed have been allowed to disappear. Um, and it's it's a shame because that's not the way it was intended to be, right? But it it, it is what it what has happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I think. Um, Hopefully, you have found a joy in statistics uh, out of this podcast and realize that statistics are a lot more than than what what we just do for busy work during January. I mean, it still is busy work during January, but um, I, I think there is a benefit, um, and we I think that's the general consensus. There is a benefit for it. There's a use for it, but we we have to we have to balance this just like the Old Testament people did. Right there's a balance of uh, good and God pleasing numbers that we are collecting so that we can see God's gifts to the church right in, in beautiful ways, um, and realize that this isn't the only marker in which we're 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 finding ourselves, um, and then also the trouble of saying yeah we can't we got to really be careful not to to be led astray to look at these numbers as hopeless or these numbers as look how great we are 
um, or to get complacent or whatever you want to say, because there's there's that danger and and really both sides. That's well said. I think that's a good way to close off our podcast for today. All right. Well, since we have the okay to close off our podcast, we are going to thank Dave for joining us. Um, he's actually getting a little bit more comfortable. Please give him all the the props and applause that you can when you see him. I, I think I'm ready for some negative stuff now. So <laughs> okay. if you're ready for some negative stuff, I can take it. Uh, he has said that he, he kind of might like to come back and, and make this uh, a semi-permanent thing. So um, we will pursue that. And, and it's always good to talk with him. Thank you for listening. And God blessings on the rest of your week. 